I hadn't thought about this until last week, and now I'm worried. What's the worst possible scenario for Oklahoma in the Rose Bowl, aside from playing like complete garbage and making tons of mistakes? Well, I think the worst possible scenario is this Rose Bowl game playing out similar to the Iowa State game from October. Of course, everybody remembers that as the Sooners' lone loss this season, but it's not like OU's offense was bad that day. The defense, well, yes, it was bad. But back to the offense. The Sooners racked up more than 500 yards and averaged nearly 7.5 yards per play. No, Baker Mayfield and company didn't get shut down by the Cyclones. The Sooners just didn't get the ball very much. In fact, Iowa State somehow managed to hold OU to just four second-half possessions. Four. Iowa State only had the ball four times in the second half as well. The difference was the Cyclones scored every time they had the ball, a field goal, and three touchdowns. Meanwhile, OU fumbled the ball away inside the 10, missed a field goal, scored a touchdown, and turned the ball over on downs. That's your second-half Sooners drive chart. One of my biggest fears is this long layoff screwing up OU's momentum and mojo on offense and even on defense. But remember back in August when the narrative surrounding this team was start fast? The Sooners didn't want to take anything for granted and fall behind the eight ball immediately to start the season, just like OU did in 2016 when the Sooners started one and two. Once September got here, OU did start fast, and the Sooners looked really good in their first three games of the year until that unnecessarily close game against Baylor and that loss to Iowa State. Yeah, those games were weird, but the Sooners' fast start in 2017 didn't slow down until game four. And if OU has been implementing its start-fast mentality during preparation for Georgia and the college football playoff, the Sooners don't need to worry about a game four or game five or six and so on. The Sooners only need to worry about a game one. Then if that goes well, a game two. And trust me, nobody wants to see this fast-start Sooners team in a game two. I'm Lee Benson. Merry Christmas. And this is West of Everest. On second and short, they'll throw it deep. Marquise Brown behind the defense for an Oklahoma touchdown. And just like that, the Sooners have broken it open. Marquise Brown's 52-yard touchdown catch in the second half of the Big 12 title game welcomes us into this Christmas edition of West of Everest. Once again, I'm Lee Benson. Grant will join us here in a moment. That touchdown pass from Baker Mayfield to Marquise Brown is the subject of today's film time with Lee. TCU was playing two-man, a fairly standard coverage in football, a coverage that, yes, Georgia will play against Oklahoma. Stay tuned if you want to hear me break down how Oklahoma was able to easily score on that play against TCU. I want to bring Grant here in to discuss the news of the week, which includes some rather let's say, unique thoughts on the early National Signing Day, which happened this past Wednesday. But first, I want to thank you all for making West of Everest what it is today, which is a pretty successful Oklahoma football podcast. Our episode from a couple weeks ago, episode 31, is already our most listened to show. So that tells me that you all want some Rose Bowl talk, and that's what we've been giving to you. If you like the show, please make sure to give us a rating on iTunes, maybe even leave us a review if you're so inclined. And if you've got a question or a comment for us, email the show, westofeverest at gmail.com, westofeverest at gmail.com, or you can find Grant on Twitter 
at Grant Benson 25 and me on Twitter at Lee Benson News 9. Okay, time to bring in Grant. Just one week until the Rose Bowl now. When are you leaving for Pasadena, Grant? Lee, I am leaving in exactly one week from today. We are recording on Christmas Eve, Sunday night. I'm looking at the TV. The Hawaii Bowl is on my TV, so I know it's Christmas Eve. Um, I will be leaving a week from tonight. I, I could not be more excited. I think I, I properly uh, conveyed my excitement in the last podcast. If I if I sound giddy, if I sound excited, that's why. I, I'm just I'm I'm so excited. I was looking at my Airbnb information before this, and I'm just getting even more excited. Excited is going to be the word of the day for Grant Lee. Excited. Are you staying in a, a posh, uh, you know, seven seven room mansion, um, or did you have to to go to the one bedroom route? How'd the Airbnb turn out? I believe it's like a it's like a five point three million dollar house. Um, it's, you know, chump change. So it's going to be, it's going to be One a nice day night. Josh Rosen will own that. I'm sure. Uh, no, it's a, it's a very small little guest house, uh, on the North side of Los Angeles and a very little quaint neighborhood, uh, about 10 miles away from the Rose bowl. All right. All right. Well, safe early travels. We'll have this podcast. And then of course the Thursday podcast to talk even more in depth about the game. And we'll have our final thoughts before the game kicks off. But first, let's talk about the news of this past week. Uh, first off, let's start with National Signing Day. It happened on Wednesday. First time this has ever happened this way. We have a, an early signing period. It seemed like a lot of people probably didn't even know what was happening. Uh, to be honest with you, I'm in the media, and I mean, I knew it was going to be going on, but up until like the day before signing day, I hadn't really given it much thought at all, and then I realized, oh, wait, this is going to be kind of a big deal as far as comparatively to normal first Wednesday in February signing days, and it was. It was pretty much exactly like that, but probably with less hype because a lot of people didn't know about it. Oklahoma signed 17 guys. Everything happened the way Lincoln Riley expected it to happen. 14 of the players Oklahoma signed, four-star players, and the other three were three-star players. No five-stars, but, I mean, 14 four-stars is pretty awesome, if you ask me. That's Oklahoma's class. Lincoln Riley's expecting it a, maybe a, a few more when this whole process plays out, of course. Well, you know, there's, there's more of it going on in February. So the class looks pretty good for Oklahoma. Grant, what did you think about signing day coming early this year? I thought it really just kind of upset the apple cart, Lee. It, it, it felt... It felt very, very out of place. Um, and I'm going to be perfectly candid. I didn't like it. I didn't like it at all. Um, let me explain myself. Uh, mostly just because I, I really feel like it, it stopped. Um, you know what little momentum college football really had. There was absolutely no talk about the playoff or any bowl games this pack week. This past week or so, it was just about signing day. And and I know you and I are pretty outspoken about this. We we've we've made a we've made an effort on the show mostly just to talk about football. Uh, we like to stay in our lane. We don't really know that much about recruiting. So um, it, it was a little disappointing, at least for us this past week, that it was just uh, the talk of the college football world centered around 17 and 18-year-old kids who have not played a college snap le or yet when in you know, less than two weeks we have the college football playoff that's kicking off. And, and I think you and I agree with this, that we think that you know, that should just be advertised to death. Um, and that, it, nobody's talking about it. And I think the the um, the early national, you know, the, the early signing period might be good for you know some high school kids or whatever. I I think it was really bad for for the college football narrative. Um, what do you think, Lee? Well, here's the thing: it you and I are in the same camp in this 
in this topic. But what I don't know is I don't know the percentage of college football fans that are are really interested in recruiting. I don't know how and, and you know if the percentage is is better than fifty percent, then a lot of people probably enjoyed this past week and probably enjoyed this whole thing and and didn't mind it. We're not in that percentage. I I, I usually only you know if if Oklahoma gets a good recruit, you know they, they get like a five star guy for instance or or a, a notable player, you know I'll sure tell me about it but that's about as far as i'm going to go i'm going to say great I, I you know i players can change so much and you know good coaches can bring the best out of certain players uh but especially this time of the year i i don't i don't really care about recruiting i care about what's happening on the field and it's college football's fault and i think you kind of hinted at this briefly right now it's such a terrible time for college football they they get to their most important and interesting part of the year the college football playoff announcement who's going to be in it and then they just go on a a four-week hiatus basically and they try to say oh what are you talking about there's bowl games here and there but nobody's watching these bowl games i mean you know granted enough people are watching them to continue to have them televised on espn but in the grand scheme of things nobody cares about these games nobody's getting up for a thursday night bowl game that's taking place at the Tropicana Dome or whatever the heck it's called, they're calling that place in, in Tampa these days. I don't, so it's it's a really weird time, and it's it's bizarre to me that, like you said, we're so close to the college football playoff, yet all of a sudden we're talking about recruiting classes and the future. And it's like for a sport like college football, just football in general, it's such a, such a quick sport. It doesn't happen for very many months out of the year. So when it's actually here, I want to spend as much time talking about the product on the field and coming up as much as possible. And then if you want to get into February, there's not a whole lot going on. Sure. Talk about signing day and talk about the future, because that's all we have to look forward to is the upcoming season. Right now we're in the season. None of these players are going to be playing on New Year's Day in this playoff. I don't understand. You know, I, you know, I, take it. I do understand why I got so much publicity. It's because I think a lot of people don't want to talk a lot about these games because they're so far away and it takes time and effort to put you know to watch all these games and to think of critical things to say and to think of new ways to tackle these these matchups that you and I have been doing here on the show but that's not easy it it takes time and it's easy to tackle the recruiting when it's the new story of the day and it's new so I think that's a big reason why it probably got so much publicity Lee are you telling me that on Thursday night this past week, your eyes weren't glued to the TV watching the Bad Boy Mowers Gasparilla Bowl broadcasted live from the Tropicana Dome in beautiful Tampa Bay, Florida? Are you telling me that you weren't doing that? Who played that game? <laughs> I can't um, I can't remember who see, played I, in that game. I think I, it was uh, Florida International. FIU. And Temple. Oh, yeah. You're right. Okay. Anyway, uh, going off what you said. so And FIU's quarterback got injured on the very first series. And so, so back to early signing day. So my thought has, has always been, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm slightly interested in recruiting. Like, I don't want you guys to get the wrong idea about this. I do care about it. I understand the importance of, of recruiting. Um, and I think kind of where it was with the signing day in early February like that was perfect because it's, it's a month after the season has ended. Um, they're, you know, we're as far away from the beginning of the college football season as we can. And I, you know, for, for us, hardcore football fans, college football fans, that's a perfect time for us to just kind of dig into like what you said, talking about the future the upcoming season. And that's fun. Um, 
if you're someone like me, I, I'm, I, I crave college football news. I, I crave college football commentary. I like to hear what other people talk about. Lee, this past week of college football coverage was the most boring week of college football uh, actually during the season that I've ever, ever I've seen in my life. It's, and here, here's the issue with it is that you, you have a lot of national guys talking about uh, national recruiting, but they talk about it in such vague terms. They can't really dive into it. I know like you can go over to, you know, your, your regular, you know, OU rival site or anything like that. And you can get really in-depth coverage about OU and that's great and all, but you have all of these national guys just talking about it in the vaguest, just most general terms. And for us, we're, I mean, we're the big fans. It's the big fans that are going to tune into those podcasts and read those things. We already know what what recruiting is all about. We get it, and the fact that they it, it almost just felt like a throwaway week. It it just felt out of place. And so what I want to do is is if if we're wrong about this and we're and we're totally going against the tide, I want you guys to let us know. Please write into West of Everest at gmail If we're totally wrong about this, I want to know. Um, if if it's something that you guys really care about, we will absolutely get into it. I, I'm I'm more than open to changing my mind about this. Um, but I, I, I do think that it, it just it just felt off, and, and I, I don't think it, it worked out very well. It might have worked out great for the kids that are signing, and I, and I guess you could make the argument that overall that's the most important thing. Um, but I think for the health of college football and, and the hype leading up to the playoff and where we're going, I thought that the news cycle this past week I, I didn't think was very good for the product of college football. And also you throw in the fact that it's the holidays and it's just the time of the year where a lot of people take time off and they, they don't want to be thinking about working and, and they're just being you know, with family and friends, things like that. And I get that. I understand that. I mean, we're here. I mean, we're together. We're it's like we're, it's like Thanksgiving again. We're recording this in person for the first time since Thanksgiving. I mean, people are doing that. But, you know, it's and that's another reason why college football, it's so tough sometimes is because they get all this momentum and then it just stops. And then all of a sudden we have to. I mean, people like you and I, we care about it all the time, so we're going we're gonna to be in no matter what. But it kind of makes you wonder how many people they potentially lose. And, and I think I made the, the, the comparison to you a couple days ago. You know, these kids, are, they're signed. I mean, they're, they're going to OU and whoever else they signed with. I mean, the NLIs are binding. I mean, they're going. So this is the equivalent of between the off week of the Super Bowl, the NFL has their draft. That's basically the same exact thing. And like, that sounds insane. Why would you do that? At, at that time, everyone's talking about the Super Bowl and they're excited about the game. Why all of a sudden would you use your draft at that point in time? It wouldn't make any sense. The draft is at the end of April, early May, and at dead time when people want to talk football as much as possible. So, you know, who knows? I mean, they, they tried it out. They did it the first time. I know some coaches don't like it. Some coaches don't mind it. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't mind it. I just... It's annoying. I think this is the main thing. It's annoying that that took over all of the news as opposed to more news about how Georgia's, Georgia's offense is going to fare against Oklahoma's defense and Oklahoma's offense is going to fare against Georgia's defense. And there's none of that. It was just for about a week, it was all just these signing classes and it's all talking about the future of college football when we do want to talk about the future, the near future in the next two weeks, not what's going to happen next year and so on and so forth. And just to put a bow on it, I just this is kind of my last thought on it. This past week, Lee, I've, I've, I mean, we're we're close. We're we're two weeks from, we're a week from the game now. Um, you know, speaking of this past week, we were about two weeks away from the game. I, I was craving some college football talk from these people. You know, two weeks away. I mean, we're we're within a bye week now of being there. We're close. Um, I, I was craving some OU Georgia talk, some national talk. It had been a couple weeks since really anyone had ever had, had mentioned it. I thought maybe, hey, it's time to start kind of ramping up the coverage. 
nowhere to be found. Nothing. Uh, nobody was talking about the football games that are actually going to be played here in the new in the near future. And I, I understand what they're trying to do with the national signing day, with, with it being early. I, I get it. Um, I think maybe they need to to reexamine that and and just and, and for just the overall health of the sport going forward in terms of hype, in terms of momentum. If that's actually the best the best thing to do. Um, I, I'm not holding my breath. I don't think the NCAA thinks in terms like that. Um, I, I guess maybe that's just kind of where where we differ, and or not you and I differ, or you and I together differ from from you know maybe the powers that be. Um, but I, I just I just thought it was a very boring week of college football, and it, it's the middle of you know at the time it's the middle of December. It should not be a boring week of college football. I thought that was just a shame. That's all. The thing is, though, honestly, even in the past, before this happened with the early signing day. This time of the year, it was still kind of a dead period anyways. I mean, you could probably make the argument that the signing period actually gave people something to talk about that has not been talked about at this time of the year in previous years because, again, again, it goes back to it's the holiday season, it's Christmas time, people are taking time off, and it's been a long college football season for those who cover college football, and this is kind of the time where you can recharge your batteries, see some family, and I get that. It's just... I don't want to accept it because there's so much time off between these games. There needs to be something to help tide you over. And we here hope hope at this podcast that we are at least helping briefly making this layoff between Oklahoma's game against Georgia just a little bit better. I just kind of feel like, Lee, this, this is arguably the best playoff field that we've had this is the fourth year of the playoff I, I think this I think this is this is inarguably the 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 two best opening round games that we've had and I I do feel like this this playoff has gotten the least amount of hype out of any of them uh, and maybe that's just recency bias on my part and I'm not I'm not recalling correctly from the last three years but I I, I can't this is by far the least hyped playoff we've had and it's it's our strongest playoff from a matchup standpoint and that's just disappointing to me so so like I said if, if we're totally off base here let us know we, we want to know from you guys um, but it, it's it was a frustrating week for me especially when when I'm, I'm really ramping up and getting ready for the game I, I really wanted people to start talking about it and there was nothing to be found well you and I we've done a lot of research we've looked more into Auburn Auburn look more into Georgia the Georgia Auburn games most specifically we'll talk about a lot of that today on this show so we've been diving in We've been looking at Georgia and Oklahoma and the like, and you'll get a lot of that here on this program. Moving on, the next bit of news that I thought was interesting this past week, we found out that Georgia linebacker Natrez Patrick is going to miss the Rose Bowl. Patrick entered drug treatment program, a drug treatment program, to avoid jail time after he failed a mandatory drug test for probation. Patrick started seven games this year, and he's he's started in the SEC title game. I mean, he recently started, and the reason he only started seven is because he also served a four-game suspension earlier in the season for being arrested for, for weed. So the guy's got some issues. He's been starting for most of the season, and now he's out. So he's not the best player on Georgia's defense, obviously. That would go to Roquan Smith. But the fact that a starting linebacker is out for Georgia, you could only assume that can help Oklahoma's offense because – uh, just imagine if Oklahoma was down a starting linebacker. Obviously, um, let's see. Who, I'm not sure what, what an equivalent to Natrez Patrick would be on Oklahoma's defense. I think I'd, I'd to, it maybe be like losing Emmanuel Beal. Like if Emmanuel Beal was out or um, 
and even though Emmanuel Bill has a lot of tackles this year, that may not even be the best comparison. I mean, that, that would hurt. I mean, Oklahoma would have a tough time finding a, a player with that kind of experience like Beals had this year. And so Patrick is out for the game, and, and that, as of now, I think that can only help help Oklahoma. So what do you, th- you have any thoughts on Patrick being out? I think we'll just kind of take whatever we can get. I, obviously, you're not. I'm, I'm not happy that this guy has to go to a drug treatment program to, you know, to to avoid jail. I mean, I'm not. I'm not happy that that has happened. Um, but still, I mean, we'll we'll take any advantage we can get in a situ- in a situation like this. Uh, watching Georgia, Natrez Patrick does not jump out on film to me at all. You really have to look for him. So I, I don't really think it's a huge loss for Georgia. Um, but at the same time, it's always you know depth. Depth hurts, and you never know what if what if somebody on Georgia goes down with cramps or is or turns an ankle or something like that, and all of a sudden you're down to your third string guy. So, um, like I said, in, anything that is going to knock your depth is going to hurt him. I don't think it's going to be you know catastrophic for Georgia at all. In fact, I really don't think it's going to affect their bottom line. You know when their when their main guys are out there, but it might. You know when you get further into the game and they're down to you know they have to put in a new a new string of players and they're down to their third string guy there that that could show up so this past week i got a chance to go to the lincoln riley it would ended up being the signing day press conference on wednesday but fortunate and, and he was asked the only questions and this is not surprising it was a signing day presser but he was only asked questions about the recruiting class and you know, you heard us talk a second ago. I mean, I, I really wanted to ask Lincoln Riley questions about Georgia. I mean, we're going to get a chance to ask him some more questions here in Pasadena coming up this upcoming week whenever they're there for the game. Fine. But luckily, before Lincoln Riley spoke, Oklahoma made some of their players available, and the players were ready to talk about anything. Oh, by the way, uh, Rodney Anderson was available, and they made Rodney Anderson available right away. And I was there, and and uh, he got asked a lot of questions about the, the situation he's been on he's been in being accused of rape and then having the charge no charges being brought and then the vpo being dismissed all signs right now pointing to rodney anderson playing in the game he said he was asked he's about it and he said i'm ready to go i'm ready to play and so as far as he knows he's playing in the rose bowl so that's good news uh, unless again something else happens in the next week it has to be in the next week but as far as we know it looks like rodney anderson's going to play and i gotta say being there he was in a, in, a, in good spirits. Um, he he answered all the questions. He didn't dodge any question. I mean, he was um, he you know I guess confident might not be the best word, but I mean he could tell that he he you know he 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 was wrongfully accused. I I mean that's what the the evidence shows us right now. That's what we have seen. He didn't come off as like he was hiding anything. He was very open and, and answered all the questions and. So good for Rodney Anderson. It's good that that situation seems to be over now. And I just want to start with and with mention that Rodney Anderson says he's good to go. And Lee, I, I do want to bring this up. I last week in, in one of our podcasts, or it might have been two weeks ago, I, I did bring up the the Title Nine issue at the University of Minnesota last year. I, I based off of what happened in that last year, I'm assuming they probably have to follow this. They were following the same federal guidelines that OU would in the situation. Um, the the players that got suspended for for the University of Minnesota last year they were suspended while they were under investigation in Title IX. So if Rodney Anderson was not going to be playing, or if he, if he was under investigation, he would already be announced as suspended or 
or not available for the game. So I think right now it is 100% safe to assume that he will for sure be playing in the Rose Bowl, barring any sort of injury or, or any sort of unforeseen circumstances. Um, and, and just another thing, it, I, I did go back and listen to everything Rodney said. I'll just, I just want to commend him for handling the whole situation with grace, and um, nobody knows what happened except for those two people. And for ev- like you said, all the evidence points towards that he was wrongfully accused, and I think he handled it with grace. Um, and, and I think that should just be the end of it, the last of it. And let's let's move on. Let's 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 go play in the Rose Bowl. Well, I'm going to play some clips here from some OU players, and I I wanted to play a clip from Rodney Anderson, but to be honest with you, and if if anybody any of you know much about Rodney Anderson, just what we've known previously. He's not much of a talker. He's not much of a soundbite guy. Uh, he's kind of short. Uh, he handled the whole questions this past week very well, and, and he elaborated on certain questions when he, when he was asked to. But mostly, he, he's usually pretty short. And I asked him a couple questions about the game when we kind of got through all the other stuff. And, for instance, I asked him about watching film. I, I was curious if, if any particular Georgia game caught his eye more than others, if he watched film of a certain game more than others. And he gave kind of that well no I watch a lot of film I watch them all we got to get be ready to play I mean just nothing nothing he gave me nothing so I didn't include any Rodney Anderson another player I did not include was Marquise Brown who was available to talk and and I asked Marquise Brown the same the same question about hey is any any certain game stand out to you watching film and he said that he 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 mentioned the Missouri game he mentioned because because they throw the ball a lot which Makes sense because Oklahoma throws the ball more than anybody else that that um, Georgia's played this year. But he didn't really give me very long answers either. <laughs> so so I didn't include any Marquise Brown sounds. So I just wanted to give that background there. However, I did have a brief talk with Drew Samia, the offensive lineman. And although he was somewhat short with some of his answers, Samia also was more available than some of the other guys. And I was able to ask a couple follow-up questions. So let's start with Drew Samia, and we'll get his 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 thoughts on the OU Georgia game. And you're going to hear me with some questions in here as well. People are always talking about position group against position group, but we're always looking at the entire defense. I mean, we we have to block the linebackers, so uh, it's pretty much just how we're looking at it. What does their linebackers look like on film to you? I mean, of course, Rope wants this there. They yeah, have some other guys. Good. They're looking. They look good, man. And that's why it's going to be exciting to get on the field and see what it's like. Is there any one game that you watch more film of of Georgia than others so far, or is everything kind of equal at this point? I mean, we watch a lot of film, so, uh, but I, I mean, me in particular, I've been watching the Notre Dame game just to see how that line has been matching up. So, what about the Missouri game? I, from what I've seen on film, Missouri's scheme offensively yeah. not the same as yours, but maybe somewhat similar compared to other teams that Georgia's played yeah. offensively. Have you seen that on film for, from Missouri's offense? Do you think kind of looks like you guys at all? I mean, I'm sure there are some similarities, but we've been looking at the entire season, so there's a lot of fun to go through. So first off, that was Drew Samia. I, I hear back some of my questions, and I should have asked a follow-up about the Notre Dame game. I don't know why I didn't. He said that he's been watching the Notre Dame game a lot, and I wanted to move right on to asking about Missouri. So I wish I would have asked a follow-up about what, what made him want to watch that Notre Dame game more. I'm not sure if you'd give me much of an answer, but um, what did you think, Grant, hearing Samia talk there? Well, I'm sure he probably wanted to watch the Notre Dame game because he knows that Notre Dame probably has two first-round offensive linemen. Um, I'm, sh- I'm, I'm just sure that that piqued his interest. Um, and I also made some comments. Notre Dame at times did dominate in pass protection in that game. Um, so there could be some things to glean from that. Although that game was three months ago, um, as we've mentioned numerous times. You know, I, 
that's the first time I've ever heard Drew talk. He seems he seems like a pretty well spoken guy. I, I I wouldn't have gotten that from seeing him getting kicked out of the the West Virginia game. Remember that? <laughs> yeah, no, I remember because I was on the field and, and I was just happened to be in that end zone when he was walking after getting kicked out, and he he didn't look as mean on Wednesday as he looked uh, leaving that game. Let's just say that. I hope that I, I hope that came across as a joke because it, it was meant as a joke. So uh, that's I full disclosure. Well, yeah. yeah, and I like the part whenever I asked about the linebackers and Roquan Smith, and he said, "Yeah, they're good, man." <laughs> So I mean, yeah, I mean it, it's not much, but I mean it's it's obvious that they're good, and I mean it's it's it comes across on film, and and again you heard them there, didn't give me a whole lot, but um, hey, it's nice to know that Oklahoma's watching film of Georgia. Yeah, I hope. Hey, <laughs> hey, we we watch a lot of film, man. I I hope I hope so. I hope so. And so Lee, I I think I think we do have to take a lot of this with a grain of salt. These are college kids. They're not. You know, they're not professional athletes who are trained by their teams, you know, to be, you know, really savvy with the media. So, oh, no, but, like that's don't don't get me wrong. That's I'm not I'm not um, like hitting him for that at all. I'm, I'm saying it's it's also, there's also some gamesmanship here, too. I mean, he's he's not a he, Drew me is not a dumb person. I mean, he's there's no reason to really go in depth with this stuff because there's a chance that any sort of soundbite could get back to the opposing team and. And there's no reason to give anything away. So that's that, I wasn't getting at that at all. But um, I just I, I was appreciative of him answering some of my questions. So uh, those were the three offensive players I mentioned: Rodney Anderson, Marquise Brown, Drew Samia. Drew Samia was the only one really that provided any sort of sound bites that I thought were good for the podcast. And it's kind of sad because obviously Oklahoma's offense versus Georgia's defense is the big matchup in this game, and I kind of wanted to get their th- more of the offensive thoughts on it. On the flip side, though. Talk to some defensive players. They had a lot of good thoughts on Georgia's offense, which is kind of obviously the the secondary story of this game, and really it could be the the, the story that decides this game if Oklahoma's defense can play really well and, and slow down Georgia's offense. And so the defense defensive players I brought out were Emmanuel Beal and Will Johnson. So I guess it was just yeah, it was just Beal and Will Johnson. And I got a lot of stuff on Will Johnson and Emmanuel Beal. And let's start with. Will Johnson, and I asked him who he thinks Georgia's offense, if, if any team, compares to that Oklahoma's defense has played. Has, is, does Georgia's offense look like any other team offensively that Oklahoma has played this year? And this is what Will Johnson had to say. If I had to compare him to someone, I would say um, just, by, just by style of play, not personnel. Or, uh, I would say UTEP, UTEP had a lot of um, big sets with uh, tight ends and and backs in the in the downhill smash mouth running game. Of course, the personnel for Georgia is a lot better, but just the scheme and style of play was pretty similar to UTEP. So how about that, Grant? Going back to Week One against UTEP and scheme wise, and, and the way that Georgia Georgia their formations, where they line up, it reminds Will Johnson of UTEP. And you know what, Lee? I watched way more UTEP than I ever wanted to watch leading up to that first game this year in August when when, when I was watching a lot of UTEP. And I agree. They, they run... It, what Will Johnson is saying here, he, he is saying that UTEP and Georgia run a lot of the same sets and plays, which they actually do. But we all know UTEP is, is god-awful, and Georgia's actually good at running these plays. Well, there was but, twice where Will Johnson clarified what he meant. I mean, he he's a... He's a he, there's no... Obviously, he's like... Listen, personnel-wise, quite different. But the way they look, which perfectly makes sense. And I, you know, to be honest with you, I hadn't considered that. I was surprised to hear his answer because um, I was kind of figuring he would say nobody really looks like Georgia. Uh, and and may, maybe like Kansas State when they weren't running the Wildcat, maybe. 
but UTEP did not see that one coming. So that was very interesting to me hearing Will Johnson say that about about Georgia. I have a lot more Will Johnson. Let's see. What's the next one? We're kind of flying by the, the seat of our pants here. I asked him about Will Johnson. I, I asked Will Johnson about watching film and kind of the similar question I asked Drew Samia and, and also Marquise Brown. And, and you know, is there any certain games that – that you watch a little bit more than others of Georgia. And here's what Will Johnson had to say. I think different teams offer different things. I think Florida offered a good man-to-man perspective versus those guys. Um, I thought Auburn did a good job scheming up uh, defensively on just how to uh, handle the motion adjustments and stuff like that. And I thought Notre Dame was a good game because of um, just because their, their style of play was sort of like I was on the defense. So uh, those three games in particular, I watched seven total. And um, along with some cut-ups and stuff like that. But it's those three games probably stand out to me the most as far as getting my recognition and, and feel for the game. So how about that? I like how – I mean, he, he gave me a lot. I mean, he was very in-depth, very detailed about it. And how about that, being able to, to rattle off what certain games showed him based on Georgia's offense and how certain defenses attacked it. And the most interesting one, I thought, was the Notre Dame one because he said Notre Dame's defense was the most similar to the way, what Oklahoma does – and Notre Dame obviously had a lot of success against Georgia in that game, almost won that game. And 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 it's just to throw back to Drew Samia, Drew Samia mentioned Notre Dame as well from the offensive perspective. So that may be a game where I could have been totally dead wrong on. I, you know, Weeks ago I was saying I'm not sure how much that game really matters. It might matter a lot when it comes to breaking down film and learning a lot about Georgia. Yeah, you know, I've I, I think I, I've made the comment to you a few times already. I I'm not sure how much we can we can take from that game because Personally, I, I just don't think in that game both teams played particularly well. I thought it was sloppy, and there was a lot of there's just not a lot of pretty football in that game. So, um, you know, smarter minds than me might be able to take something from that game. Um, you know, yeah, Will Johnson, I, I really liked what he gave you there. Yeah, especially um, the thing that really caught uh, my ear there was was what he said about Auburn and, and how they were able to adjust with the motion and stuff like that. I'm going to talk a little bit about that when we get uh, into the breakdown of those the Georgia-Auburn games. Let's move on to Emmanuel Beal. Let's go on to the linebacker. And actually, you know what? I'm glad I got a chance to talk to a defensive back and also a linebacker because, in my opinion, those are the two position groups that are going to determine whether or not Oklahoma's defense can play well against against Georgia and it's all going to be about recognizing the run and making your fits and tackling and and not getting beat at the point of attack and Georgia's going to force Oklahoma's defensive backs and of course linebackers to make plays and make tackles so speaking of that I asked Emmanuel Beal if Georgia's offense compares to any other of the offenses that he's seen similar to the question I asked Will Johnson and here's what Emmanuel Beal had to say in the Big 12, you look at it like a lot of different sets. Their running backs do a lot of different things. Different in the Big 12, they like to play in space more in the Big 12. For for them, it's just I just believe everything revolves around their running backs. You know? So, so because of that, I mean, is that do you feel like you and then the secondary, you guys have that much more responsibility going up, fitting in the run gaps and, and stopping those guys? Uh, yes, we uh we we use our corners. Seems a little bit more here and there. I mean, but that's what it's going to take. It'll take a whole complete defense to stop these guys. Now, the key with that one is, is, is when I asked him kind of the follow-up about, when he, after you mentioned the running backs, does that make it to where you feel like your position group and then the defensive backs are that much more important? He kind of had a look on his face, a little smirk of like, and he kind of nodded and, you know, and he gave, yeah, yeah, our, our, our corners do something different. And then he kind of said, yeah, yeah, we got to play well anyway. So it kind of made me feel like that – 
I don't know if they're doing something different in practice to prepare, but I mean, probably are. I mean, well, you know, of course, I mean, why not? So it almost kind of seemed like uh, that was a, a question that Emmanuel Beal knew the answer to because Oklahoma is doing things in practice with that in mind because they know obviously those running backs are so talented and they're going to have to stop them and slow them down in, in, in a way that other defenses uh, have not, most defenses have not been able to do so far this year. That, that tells me, th- this is just me. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to 100% say that I'm right on this. That tells me that, that they might be blitzing from the, from, from the corner position quite a bit to, to put an extra person in there on the run game, um, which after watch, which might not be a terrible idea. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> All right, more from Emmanuel Beal. And I asked him about watching film, and, and you might be getting the same theme, guys. I was asking all these players kind of the same questions about watching film, what games stood out to them. This is Emmanuel Beal talking about the Auburn games, and he said he liked to watch both of the Georgia-Auburn games. So, honestly, I can't remember how I should set this clip up. I just know that he's talking about Georgia-Auburn both games. Here we go. The one I really like to watch is the the second game between them and uh, Auburn. I mean, it kind of shows like the first game Auburn beat them, of course, but it shows like they brought the game to like another level, more intense, more physical. The backs look like they wanted to run the ball more. They wanted to score more. They wanted more than uh, Auburn defense did. So for me, it's just all about watching them at their best. So he wanted to watch them at their best. And of course, that was the last game Georgia played and Georgia beat a team by three touchdowns that they had previously lost to just a few weeks before in the most important game of the season for Georgia. And um, again, you're going to have thoughts. We're both going to have thoughts about that. Both Georgia Auburn games. And I guess maybe we should probably say some of the thoughts there for there. And maybe we can come back to what Emmanuel Beal said to see if you agree or anything else stands out to you about that second Georgia Auburn game, especially from Georgia's offense. I think for you, Grant, you, uh, you do think that there are very many differences between that. The final, the, the final soundbite I have is actually more Oklahoma-themed, and I was just curious about this because I floated this, this theory out, I think, a couple weeks ago. And when we were talking about Rodney Anderson initially, and obviously we didn't know a whole, as much as we know now, but at the time I mentioned this, I think it was kind of trending more towards you know, it was right after he had denied it and things were going more in his way. And and I, I said something along the lines of, in a really bizarre, horrible way, this situation could end up bringing Oklahoma even closer together before the Sooners' biggest game of the year. And so I asked Will Johnson how the team kind of rallied around Rodney Anderson and, and if the team has grown closer together. And this is what Will Johnson had to say about that. Yeah, we definitely came around him uh, tight, especially when a um, situation happened. We, um, um, everyone, even shot him a text message when we seen him in the locker room, put our arms around him, pray for him, and stuff like that. But uh, we felt, we felt, we felt that um, in the situation that uh, uh, we knew Roddy was a good person. That he, in whatever situation he was in, we thought he handled well, and um, we knew that uh, in the end, the ultimate truth would come out. And so uh, we just want to more focus on George than anything after that. Don't we all, Will Johnson? Don't we all? Just want to focus on Georgia after that. So, I mean, the, the guys came together. I mean, the team seems fine. And I appreciate Will Johnson answering that question uh, elaborately. But then also, I also appreciate the, listen, I mean, we just want to, we want to talk about Georgia. That's what we're focusing on because that's what they are focusing on. That's what's most important. So it's good to know that the team has rallied around Rodney Anderson. And, and 
at this point, it seems like things are going pretty well in that respect. So just what Will Johnson said, let's just talk more Georgia. Why not? And if you've been, if you've been living under a rock, Georgia and Auburn play twice this year. The first time came at Jordan-Hare Stadium, and Auburn won the game 40-17. to In my opinion, though, it was a lot closer than 40-17. to And the second game was at the SEC title game a few weeks later, and Georgia won that one 28-7. And Grant and I have gone back. We've watched both games. I watched the first game in just painstakingly too much detail. I took too many notes on it. Didn't watch the second game with as much detail just because I didn't have another three hours. Oh, my gosh. I don't know what I was thinking. So first off, let's compare and contrast both of these games. Obviously, one game was very positive for Georgia. One game was very negative for Georgia. For Georgia's sake, the the positive one came at the right time. First question I have for you, Grant, in regards to these two games. Why do you think the final scores in each game were so different? I mean, a couple of different reasons. I mean, the the main reason is because Georgia just played really poorly in the first game against Auburn, and Auburn played really well. That's that's the main difference. Uh, the second time around, it was basically flipped. Georgia played really well, and Auburn didn't. Um, in the second game, I think the reason I think the reason Auburn didn't play well was more of what Georgia was doing. Um, the other way around, I thought in, in game one, Georgia got whipped schematically in that game, bad, um, especially especially going against Auburn's defense. Um, Lee, Georgia in that first game was so vanilla on offense, and I I I just I disagree with you when you say that that game was closer than people think. You know, I I understand where you're coming from when you say that. Georgia did, uh, for instance, they left a touchdown on the board early in the second quarter. Uh, Fromm missed a wide-open guy in the secondary. Uh, I mean, wide open at midfield, no one within 10 yards of him. He would have walked into the end zone for a touchdown. That was not a busted coverage. The the defensive back was manned up, and he just fell down. Um, Really, other than that, Auburn, for the most part, smoked Georgia. It really wasn't. And here we go. He, he, okay, he, he's 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 showing. He, he's about to just number off where I'm wrong. I want to. I'm, I'm not wrong. saying you're wrong. I'm just I'm just giving you more of. It was it was more than just that. There was also their patented flea flicker play, which Georgia is probably going to run a flea flicker against Oklahoma because all the games I've watched Georgia play this year, they've run that flea flicker, and it's only worked really well one time. On that play against Auburn, they had a guy wide open. It's just Auburn blew it up just in time. So I guess, I mean, you had to give credit to Auburn's defense on that play. Auburn made a good play. Okay. Aside from that, they gave Auburn an extra possession. They forced Auburn to punt on third and 15. They got penalized for leaping over the up back, which that was basically a turnover. Auburn went down and scored on that possession. So, I mean, that's basically a point off turnover. I can't remember if it was a field goal or a touchdown. And then also they muffed a punt at, at this, in the third quarter, which then Auburn scored a touchdown off that. So that's two touchdowns. I believe two touchdowns off of base. I mean, turnovers basically and take those two touches off the board and it's a one possession game. And so I, I understand kind of where you're coming from there, but I, I want to, I want to rebut you with some numbers here and just how, how this game went, because I, I feel like you're, you're slightly cherry picking some stuff. Georgia in that game, Lee, 229 yards of total offense. They only crossed uh, midfield four times in the game. Auburn, 518 yards of total offense. They outgained Georgia by about 300 yards. Um, let's see here. Success rate. You know, you know how much I love S&P, guys. Success rate, 
Auburn had a 51% success rate for that game. They had a 60% success rate in the second half. Georgia had a 31% success rate. They were pretty much stonewall. They didn't do much on offense at all. Um, so I'm on a per play basis, Lee, Auburn smoked Georgia in that game. Like, and watching the game, I, I agree. Like Georgia just played very poorly. And so when when I talk about how they were so vanilla on offense, I, I didn't see any any wrinkles or anything inventive on offense. It was just it was just kind of their bread and butter over and over again. And by bread and butter, I mean I shotgun they ran they ran two different plays one just a handoff up the middle that they can cut out uh off tackle and just a play action rpo that they run and then when they were under center they ran off tackle honestly that's it that's all they ran um lee i called out just by looking at the formation watching that game about 90 percent of their plays i knew exactly what they were going to run every single time in the in the second game that I mean, probably, how detailed do you? I mean, are you just talking like, oh, run or pass, or are you talking like where it's going to go? Because that's a huge difference. Where like, it's going to go? Also, uh, especially in that game, anytime anyone went in motion, the ball went to them, every single time. Um, they did not. They did not run that that crackback toss. Not once in that game that we're so scared about. That was actually that was their main wrinkle in the SEC championship game. In fact, they they built their run game in that game off of that play. Um, they scored their first touchdown off of that play on on different wrinkles of it. So the difference in it, it, here was here was the big difference in the SEC championship game. And and I, I knew it, and I thought it was great. They they did a really good job. And and Auburn honestly didn't change what they did at all in that second game uh, compared to the first game. I was able to call out about ninety percent of Georgia's plays in that first game, and it went down to about ten percent in the SEC championship game because they and it what they did was deception. They they would run the play that looked like it, but there would be a little wrinkle with it. And it would it, it confused the hell out of me when they did it, and I can't even imagine if Auburn was expecting one thing because they watched film too, and I and I'd imagine if I was able to call out their plays while watching it, the guys on Auburn's defense probably knew what they were about to run too, and that was not the case in the SEC championship game for the entire game. It was that way for you, yes, because for the for the most part, like in midway through the third quarter in the SEC title game, it was ten to seven. It was close. Georgia's offense wasn't that great Auburn, that Auburn played well Auburn's defense played so, very well in that game what, what I'm getting at is it probably started more like you didn't really know what was going on when Georgia kind of got that two score lead and they could kind of open up the playbook more which if Georgia hits that touchdown in that first game against Auburn and has has the lead that game goes totally differently because their offense would have been a lot different that's, they play that's, a lot differently with the lead no I I absolutely noticed a difference from Georgia's very first offense but their first play of the game was that crack ta- was that crack back toss yeah, and, they, and they very rarely went back to it the rest that's, of the that's game. not true they, they, they ran that play they ran variations of that play probably 10 or 11 times and it was successful I every you, time I hope you count it every time I hope you wrote it down because sometimes you, you think you see stuff a lot more than you really do I'll tell you, that's why I end up writing everything down. They also Okay, I'm going to go through other little wrinkles that they added in the SEC championship game that they did not do once in the first game against Auburn. They added, and it's, it's, it's small, it's, it's not huge, but they added a little wrinkle where they, just, where they just tossed the ball to the running back on a little swing pass out of the backfield. They didn't do that once against Auburn. And they did that because, because the first time against Auburn, they really had, they really had trouble getting to the edge. And that's what that's why they added this this little swing pass to get Michelle and Chubb to the edge and Swift later in the game, and then they added that crackback uh, 
crackback toss so they could they could get to the edge. Well, the crackback toss is just basically a variation of their wild dog because that's how that's what they do when they run with the wild dog. It's just they did it with without that formation. They did it in just a basic run formation. I'm not. I'm not so saying it's not like it wasn't in their playbook. I, I'm. Yeah, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying it. Uh, just for whatever reason, their their offensive game plan in that first game against Auburn was not very inventive whatsoever. It just wasn't. And also, I I, I noticed. This is this is another thing. I noticed this in both games, and this is more of just a stream of consciousness thing. The degree in which Jake Fromm stares down his number one target is astonishing. He he does not. It's 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 stare down number one guy, and if he's not there, scramble and throw it away. That's exa- and that that makes me feel a little bit better about going against Jake Fromm. That's that is what I'm. What, what do you what do you think about that? I mean, you're 100 percent correct. He. I've watched basically I haven't watched a full game because I get to the point where it's like the game's over. There's no reason to watch anymore. It's not competitive anymore. So I've watched two and a half quarters of Missouri. I watched the pretty much the entire Mississippi uh, three quarters of Mississippi State, the entire Georgia, Georgia Notre Dame game. I finally did watch that entire game and both Auburn games. And there's been two instances, just two times when I've noticed Jake from does not throw the ball to the first person he looks at. And the first time was a designed screenplay. And the second time was he he got sacked. Like he 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 looked off like he actually he it wasn't there. And instead of actually looking to like the check down guy, I, I could tell he looked towards the middle of the field to see somebody else. And he it was the it was the first Auburn game. And he got sacked. That's it. Two times. So the thing is though, yeah, that sounds pretty rudimentary for a quarterback but the guy's got a great completion percentage because he's really good pre-snap dissecting what the defense is giving him and the play basically is decided decidedly positive before the ball is even snapped and he's really good at those out routes he he loves hitting guys on out routes and he he's got a good arm and I, what, like he's, a, he's a baseball player i think too right i mean not surprising he was in, he won the little league world series that's right yeah yeah so i mean he's got a great arm and he can hit those those 30-yard out routes where he has to throw the ball across the field, you know, to the wide side of the field. And he can put the ball exactly where he needs to be. And, and that's where his strength lies, I think, is is those throws. And, you know, once he reads the play properly pre-snap, he's a pretty accurate thrower. I mean, he puts the ball right where he needs to be for the most part most of the time. I think I think the term that a lot of the, the scouts use is he, he has arm talent. And I think that's obvious watching him. Um Again, uh, the degree in which he stares down his targets is I just anyone just go on YouTube and watch a game. I mean, it is it's blatantly obvious while watching it. So I mean, I'm I just as a as a former high school defensive back, <laughs> I mean, zone coverage when you don't have to when you can actually n- know that you're not going to have to be burned by a man. Man, I mean, that just seems ripe for the picking. But like, it's not like he's thrown a bunch of picks this year. He hasn't. So defenses surely see that on film with him and really it hasn't been able to be exploited i mean notre dame picked him off one time and it was a nice play i mean it was really not it was like it was man coverage and he's just a bad a bad throw it was on an out route actually he he threw it behind the guy and the linebacker made a nice play and got in his hip pocket made the play uh he threw a pick against missouri that was just a nice defensive play too he stared him down the linebacker dropped to his coverage made a one-handed grab near the end zone I can't think of any other interceptions uh, that he that he had. I can't remember. I don't think he threw a pick in the first Auburn game. So he 
he doesn't really throw interceptions, even though he stares down his he stares down his main receiver. I mean, almost every single time, basically every single time. He he's good at not forcing it if it's not there, though. Like that, I will say that he he does not force it if it's not there. Yeah, that's true. Um, and so I I just I I so I, will Oklahoma bait him? That's the like, will they be disciplined enough and creative enough to somehow try to bait him into going to his one read? But like, there's the risk there though. You bait and then you get burned. Which I'm sure teams have probably tried to do that this year. And another thing I noticed too, and and I, I didn't I didn't necessarily notice any sort of correlation with with both of the games, but in game one, Lee especially uh, in third and long, he he almost exclusively looked for Javon Wims on on the same play pretty much every time. Just kind of a he should have been picked off. Just just kind of those. kind of a jump ball back Ugh. shoulder throw. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, they, they weren't particularly pretty um, throws. In in game in in game two in the SEC championship game, it seemed more on third and long. His target was Mecole Hardman. It seemed to like a little more um but he also went to whims a few times as well so um he and he um, stared him down I, i'm when i when i talk about when he hits anybody he's staring him down every time so i mean his accuracy should be great because i mean he is just tracking them the entire way he knows exactly where the ball needs to go and th- this is not i mean i know this sounds like ripping jake from and it is to some extent but he's a true freshman and I'll I'm a, I will compliment and his. That's arm. the offense, obviously. I mean, they're not asking him to do more than that. I mean, if they wanted him to do more, I'm I'm confident he could probably figure it out and they could do more with him. But that's obviously the the context of their offense. That's what they want him to do. And are there I have have has OU played teams this year where the quarterback stares down their number one targets and OU probably still got burned? Uh, yeah, sure. So what does that mean? It may not mean much, but it may mean a lot. And it's so very I, noticeable on tape. It's so it, it's it's one of those things for a for a good defensive coordinator and a good defense. It is something that you should totally be aware of. It's 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 very important to the game, um, and I'm and uh, to talk more about the importance of it. I know you're going to break down something very similar to it in in film time with Lee um, with Baker Mayfield, and which is just sick. And it's I, I can't wait till you break it down. But just just a great compare and contrast. Um, so any other, or any other thoughts on those games, Lee? I got a ton of notes, but a lot of them are kind of inside baseball stuff. I, I wrote down formations and stuff. I have, I, I could probably name off all the little wrinkles in game two that they didn't do in game one. I'm not going to do that. Um, there it's, it's, none of it is super, uh, none of it is super sophisticated. It's just different enough, uh, that it, it makes the defense maybe pause a little bit. And, and I think that especially with Georgia, with how fast they are, how much speed they have on offense, that can make that can you know mean everything. And so why why I wanted to bring that up was it shows that the Georgia coaching staff has a capacity to tweak their game plan. And I know it's different because you know they they're just playing Auburn again. Um, but it really, overall, if if I if I had to kind of sum up the two games, I think I I, I think Auburn's win. Uh, was more dominant than Georgia's win, I, slightly, just slightly. Um, but I came away from both games thinking that I think I think Georgia's the better team. I, I think that's I think they have better they have better players. I can't I can't emphasize enough how much I hate Auburn's offense. Absolutely hate it. I, I don't. It's it's a really bad. It's, yeah, it, it's, it's it's a really bad offense that is actually effective. It, it's a bad offense Sometime, for, like, for quarterbacks most times. The yeah, I, some of the some of the routes their receivers were running on third and long mystified me. Literally, just run and then turn around. They 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 ran a few times on third and long. They would just run four curls against man coverage. I, I, 
And, yeah, hey, hey, one of the guys will be open, maybe. And and they, yeah, <laughs> and, and they just basically just prayed that one of them would be open. Just that's that's really, really, really bad offense. And so I, and and you know what? That's that's not Gus Malzahn's game. He's a he's a total run guy. And and if they have any success in the passing game at Auburn, it's because they're running the ball well and they're going to get sucked up you know, sucked up in a play action, which is what happened in game one. Um, and so it, just to put a bow on anything, I. I um, I think Georgia and Auburn's defenses, in terms of quality, are basically a wash. I think they're both of the pretty much the same quality. Um, Auburn did not play poorly on defense at all in the SEC championship game. They they didn't. Georgia uh, Georgia in that game only had a thirty eight percent success rate. Uh, most of their most of their damage came on explosive plays, um, which is which is not surprising at all with Georgia with the running backs and and the, and the wide receivers that they have. Um, the the difference was Georgia in that first game on defense they did play poorly on defense they they just they struggled to get off blocks um, and, and I think the linebackers probably played their worst game of the season for Georgia and that was that was just not the case in the SEC championship game it was more status quo for them and and that's what happened and, and Auburn on offense didn't do anything differently they they tried to to roll in with the same game plan and, and win and that just clearly against Georgia. That coaching staff that that wasn't going to fly, and so I, I think that's that, that's certainly a check mark in in Georgia's favor. In there, I think that's uh, that's certainly something to be aware of. Well, to back up your point about Georgia's defense playing better, or, or you know, in the title game, do you have the the numbers for that game at all? Up for, if you don't, it's fine. For, I, from the title game, yeah, the I title, do. yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, so how did how many yards did Auburn rush for in that game? Uh, rushing. Okay. Well, they had 259 total yards of offense. Um, in terms of rushing yards, give me, give me a second here. They didn't have a lot. Um, let's see here. They only, they only ran for 4.9 yards of carry in the game. Really? Wow. Yeah. That's actually, um, it's higher than I would have guessed. Let's see here. I'm going to have to do some quick adding. Here's a hundred. They, they ran, uh, Auburn ran for about 130 yards in the game. Well, this is not it doesn't have rushing yards listed on there. It doesn't actually. It only has total yards for some reason. That's kind of. All right, well, the reason I bring that up, and if they only they averaged four point nine yards per carry. They did. Well, okay. So in the first time they played, this this kind of gives you a show an example of kind of back my point up of is that the game was a lot closer than that score the score was because I tracked through the first three quarters. The game was it was thirty to ten after three quarters. I was like, okay, it's, it's that that's it. I, I mean, it's it's over. And at that point, Auburn was having a really good game. Auburn, every time they ran the football, was averaging 5.1 yards per play. So only 0.2 yards more than they did the entirety of the SC title game. And when they threw the football in that game through three quarters, they were averaging 6.5 yards per play, which is not that great for yards per pass. So, uh, But combined, they were averaging only 5.8 yards per play. Yet at that point, they had to put up 30 points on Georgia's defense. So... Turnovers, some short fields, and you know, Auburn took advantage of Georgia mistakes in that first game, and the scoreboard looked a little bit worse. And I think really the ob- well, obviously the the talent discrepancy because Georgia went out, went ahead and beat them by three touchdowns later. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I I don't think I, watching that SEC championship game, I don't. I, Georgia's defense certainly didn't dominate Auburn in that game. I thought they. Auburn was still was still gaining positive yards when they ran the ball pretty much every single time. Um, they, they just they did not get any of those chunk plays, and they didn't really in that first game either. But what they did get were, was chunk plays in the passing game in that first game. They certainly didn't get it in the second. Well, 
Let me push back a little bit, though. In that first game, there was only one deep ball attempted in the first three quarters, and it was for a touchdown. And that is the reason why I'm breaking down this upcoming play for Film Time with Lee's because it came against two man. And so you, you said that you stopped watching after the third quarter of that first one. Yeah. So you you missed you missed the second really explosive play for Auburn, which was by far their best play of the entire game, which was a throwback pass to carry on Johnson yeah, for fifty three yards. Throwback screen pass. It was, mean, a, it was a it was a great play call. It's yeah, but a perfect they, play call. Sure. I mean, but that's, they weren't they didn't throw the ball down the field. And that's kind of what I wanted to get at is is, I mean, the next question I was going to ask you is we talked a lot about, you talked a lot about Jake Fromm and, and Georgia's offense. So, you know, before we move on to film time with Lee, you know, what did you learn about Georgia's defense watching these two games? Because, you know, Auburn doesn't have the best offense in college football, but I mean, it's got a, it's got a, it's got a good offense and they've faced them twice. And uh, what I noticed from the Georgia defense is that they, you know, 40 points were scored on them in that game, that first game. Granted, that was the first, you know, then they only allowed seven points against Auburn three weeks later. But, this is the first time Georgia and Oklahoma is playing, so I think it's fair to take the first time Auburn and Georgia played this year. And Georgia allowed 40 points and only gave up, or allowed 40 points against a team that refused to throw it down the field with the exception of one time in the first three quarters. And that one ball down the field was a completed touchdown pass for 32 yards. So my point is, you think Oklahoma's not going to throw the ball down the field against Georgia? They throw the ball down the field against everybody. And... I don't know if Georgia has been tested at all this year down the field. I just don't think they have. I mean, Missouri hit them for two 60-plus yard touchdowns. And I know that Missouri only put up 28 points, and Georgia still won the game by 20, 25, or whatever like that. But that was the most points Georgia allowed all year. And Missouri's offense at the time wasn't playing its best football. And I think their numbers are a little inflated anyways at this point in the season because the last six games for Missouri have been against nobody. I mean, again, it's against really bad teams. So, I mean, Missouri is able to hit them on deep, couple deep shots. I don't think any other team has the ability to really hit it downfield against, a, uh, has the offense to do that. And then, I'll let you jump in here, Grant. In the SEC title game, Auburn tried a couple deep shots in that game. It's just Stidham's accuracy is so bad, and I think it goes back to that offense. He's not asked to throw it a lot down the field, so whenever he has to throw it down the field, it's tough for him. And he, he's not accurate with his deep balls because he's not doing it a whole lot. Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not honestly going to add anything to what you just said. I, I agree with everything you just said. What I do uh, want to go to, and I'm, I've, and I, you know, I've said this for the last three weeks, and I, it's only, it's only been confirmed more in my head by watching a lot of uh, Auburn and Georgia today. OU is going to have success running the football in this game. They are that in both in both of these games. There's been times where where Georgia has struggled to get off of blocks, and that's against Auburn. This is a different animal they're going against. This is not Auburn they're going against. It's a much better offensive line. And I, Carryon Johnson, I, I came away pretty impressed with Carryon Johnson in that first game. He's a good player. Um, so, but Rodney Anderson, a different type of player. Uh, I think, I think Anderson. And Trey Sermon are both better than Carryon Johnson, and I think I mean SEC people will be like, "Are you kidding me? You're crazy." Carryon Johnson's not particularly fast. He's got good vision. Rodney Anderson is faster than Carryon Johnson. Trey Sermon probably not. Carryon Johnson's probably faster than Trey Sermon, but Trey Sermon is kind of the same build as Carryon Johnson. So you know what? I, I, I'll take that back. I, I think Rodney Anderson playing right now. I think Rodney Anderson's the best running back in college football. I think right now he's playing better than Bryce Love. And granted, Bryce Love is injured, so I mean. 
you know, that's a pretty hot take. I, I don't know if I'd take Rodney over Bryce Love, but I, I mean, yeah, I, I think. And of course, you, you it's it actually is arguable that that maybe Rodney's up there because he has. I mean, he, he's had the best second half of the season of anybody in the country, but you know, the offense has a lot to do with that. So I, I don't want to get into that. I, I'm just saying I, and I don't know. Hot take alert here, and I've I've said it numerous times. This this Georgia defensive line is really really banging on the door being overrated with how everyone is talking about them they're they're nothing special and i'm sorry like they are athletic they 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 struggle to get off blocks they just do they 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 struggle to get off blocks against a lot of teams well what i've seen is and just real quick i you know i i'm not trying to bang on carry on johnson i take it back i i don't i think he's better than than tracer but right now i think rodney anderson is definitely a better running back um i i think mostly it's coming it's coming from how annoyed I was after the first Auburn Georgia game. How there was some talks about how oh did Carryon Johnson just get his way his name into the Heisman race? Like, just stop it. Can we just stop it? I mean, anybody other than Baker Mayfield this entire year was just you're trying too hard. And I've said it from the very beginning, and I'm gonna toot my own horn right now because my God, like he was always really good. So, so that was. Uh, I'm not trying to bang on Carryon Johnson. Now I've I've lost track of what I was gonna say. Oh yeah, no. I was just uh, you mentioned the defensive line. I think, I think a, a big part of Georgia's defense though is it's because they run the three four, and most of the production comes from those those four linebackers. And the defensive line is just kind of a complementary spot. That's what I've noticed on film. Is it's not that they're like a leader or anything like that. It's just the the linebackers around them make plays. So it's almost like they have to like take up like a player and let the linebackers roam around and be fast and and make you know, create havoc. So. Um, I think it's not you can't really praise the defensive line for Auburn. It's more of like the front seven as a group because I think they all work in tandem together to be a pretty good front seven. Sure, I'm just I, for you and you talking about how, how it frustrates you when you hear it, it, it. When I have listened to the, the national media talk about this, the talking point of I think OU might struggle with with Georgia's defensive front and their physicality and athleticism that frustrates me because. Georgia, especially their defensive front, and when I talk about their defensive line, it really is in it's 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 in the middle of the pack of defensive lines they face this year. It in, in terms of how they affect the game, it just is. It watch 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 the games. In a week, we'll find out. And you know, yeah, and of course, as soon as I say that, I'm sure they'll have like seven sacks and 15 <laughs> tackles for loss, yeah. and I'll no, look like an idiot. I mean, that's the thing. It's like you can make the right handicap, you can make the right calls. And it doesn't necessarily mean that's what's going to happen on the field. And I mean, but that's just sports. We all know that. Okay. Let's move into film time with Lee. Let me bring up my notes here. This week, we are breaking down Marquise Brown's 52-yard touchdown catch in the third quarter of the Big 12 Championship game against TCU. The score gave OU a 38-17 lead over the Frogs. Now, the reason I've chosen this play is because TCU is playing cover two man, which is a pretty standard coverage concept in football. And it's a coverage that I saw Georgia's secondary get burned on for a 32-yard touchdown by Auburn in the first meeting between those two teams back in November. Before I get into what happens on the play, let me just quickly explain what cover two man means to those who are unfamiliar with football coverage and defense. It's very simple. So cover two man basically means that the two, the cover two is two deep safeties. So you have one safety on one, one half of the field covering the entire deep half and the other safety on the other half of the field covering the entire deep half. So they're not in man coverage. They are playing zone coverage. They have deep halves. Meanwhile, everybody else in the secondary and linebackers 
do have a man. And so however many men are on the field lined up, wide receivers, running backs, you just kind of count off left to right or right to left, depending on where you are, and that's your man. Generally, that's what you do, unless your coach wants you to certain players is take other certain guys make to to shadow a certain player and so you man up on that person and then as in a coverage what you want to do is you're taught to actually let the player the receiver beat you by a half step you're supposed to trail them kind of get in their hip pocket the idea behind that is that it baits the quarterback into thinking that they have the guy who they want open and then once they make a throw, one of those safeties that's over the top helping you out can come on over and make a play on the ball, either make an interception, knock it down. Maybe you can step in front and make the play. That's the idea behind two-man. A lot of teams run it. I ran it in high school. Not a whole lot. I wish we would have ran it a lot more because I think it's a pretty effective defense. Anyways, that's the basics behind two-man. Back to the play. OU comes out with Mayfield in the shotgun. Rodney Anderson set to his right. C.D. Lamb is split out as a single receiver left. OU trips to the right. Mark Andrews is on the line of scrimmage in the slot. Marquise Brown's off the line about five yards wider than Andrews, more kind of in the middle part of the slot. And Dimitri Flowers actually is split all the way out to the right. An interesting little wrinkle there, putting Flowers out there. And I think the camera on TV kind of cut to it as Flowers was kind of motioning it. I think Flowers was lined up in the backfield, and they motioned him out wide and got him out of there. And I think that might have been designed so Oklahoma knew for sure they are in man coverage it's just they they cut to the camera angle right as i saw kind of flowers moving out there to get lined up anyways tcu you can tell they're in man across the board they have press man coverage on cd lamb they have press coverage on flowers and marquise brown while the nickelback is lined up about five yards off of mark andrews who's in that who's in that short slot area the two deep safeties occupy the middle of the field about 10 12 yards off the ball TCU, interesting, they got two down linemen, two stand-up defensive ends. All four of those guys at the snap do rush the football. Nobody else comes. Speaking of the snap, Mayfield gives a quick little play fake to Rodney Anderson, who runs to the left into the flat. And you can tell that it's two-man, if you didn't know it by now, because one of the middle linebacker follows Anderson because that's his man. Mayfield then looks towards the middle of the field for two full seconds. Then at the last second, comes back to his right, unloads it to Marquise Brown just before Matt Bozen gets to him. Brown makes the grab perfectly in stride, about four yards behind his defender for a touchdown. Now, how did Marquise Brown get so wide open? Well, you can thank Mark Andrews and Baker Mayfield. Andrews runs a deep post from that inside slot position. As he's running this route, Mayfield is looking towards the middle where Andrews' route is going. Andrews is able to get the attention of both deep safeties. Therefore, each player gets deep to try to take away the great Oklahoma tight end. Meanwhile, Marquise Brown delays for a half second off the line of scrimmage, then hits a streak route. The TCU defensive back, Ridwan Isahaku, gets a bit of a hit on Brown during Brown's stall near the line of scrimmage. But once Isahaku's hands goes on Brown, Hollywood hits the Jets. And because of Mark Andrews occupying both deep safety's attentions, Brown finds himself wide open, and Mayfield hits him in stride. Now, the best part about this play is that Mayfield knew he wanted to go to Brown all the way. It's very similar to last week's play breakdown of Brown's long touchdown run, catch and run against Oklahoma State. But in order for this play to work, Mayfield has to look off the safeties initially. And Mark Andrews has to provide that distraction that puts an unassuming defensive back on an island 
against Marquise Brown. Great recognition by Baker Mayfield of the TCU defense. Great play design to exploit a weakness in two man. And it goes back to what you were talking about earlier, Grant, between Jake Fromm and Baker Mayfield. You don't see a lot of college quarterbacks understand the concept of looking off a guy to set up another guy. And that's exactly what that play was designed to do because Mayfield wanted to open up Brown to get that man-on-man with no safety help. And it all was determined by Mark Andrews going on that steep post route and Mayfield using his eyes to look off the safeties to open it up for Brown. That's one of the more underrated parts of Baker Mayfield that no one really ever talks about. Uh, His ability to look off safeties, look off defenders, and then quickly make a decision when he sees someone open is second to none. It's 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 high level NFL stuff. His ability to do that. The thing is though with that play and the reason he's he's able to get rid of the football so quickly when he looks back to Marquise Brown and get rid of it cuz he got he got rid of it. I mean, Bozen got to him, but th- it's not like they were rushing him quick. I mean, he, he he almost had a full 4 seconds to throw the ball there. So, I mean, it's not like he he didn't have time for the play to develop. I mean, the offensive line did its job for the most part, but the reason why he's able to quickly throw that ball is because Mayfield knew as he was looking towards Mark Andrews at the middle of the field, when he saw that safety on Marquise Brown's side of the field move towards Andrews, he knew that when he looked back to Marquise Brown, Marquise Brown, unless he tripped and fell over, Marquise Brown was going to be by that guy. And he trusts him to beat that guy, and he knows he can just flip his wrist and put it out there for Marquise Brown to run underneath it for the touchdown. It's preparation. That's, that's, that's preparation, and that's and there's a lot of skill that goes into that too. Him being able to quickly diagnose that and make that decision, that's NFL scouts are, are going to see that when they start really digging into him, and I, that's one of the reasons why a lot of people are going to covet him in the draft. All right, quickly with our bull picks, and there's a lot of them, so we got to go fast, and that's fine because we're going to have a lot more in-depth bowl picks coming on our next show when we do all the big playoff and New Year's six bowl games, things like that. So uh, as we speak, we're recording it. We've gone late. The What bowl is going on right now, Grant? With Fresno, uh, The Hawaii, Hawaii Bowl, of course, the Hawaii Bowl. Fresno State is up by two touchdowns over Houston with a minute to go. I think we can put that one in Fresno State's uh, the win column. I believe I took Houston in that one. Did you take Houston or Fresno State? I took Fresno in that game, I believe. All right, so let me go ahead and just make a little update to the uh, tally here as I uh, I give myself another L. Oh my gosh, I'm just struggling. All right, so now we have the tally. We have nine games we did last week. So last week, Grant, you were 7-2. and two. That's pretty good. And I went 5-4. and four. Oh, I got to add one more uh, one more win to the season total for you. Here we go. Hold on. So you're, you're at 58-28. and 28. That's not bad. All right, first game, tomorrow, Tuesday, the 26th, day after Christmas, Utah and West Virginia in the Zaxby's Heart of Dallas Bowl. Grant, who you got? I got West Virginia. Gosh, I know I picked this game. Who did I pick? Hold on, I got to go to my picks real quick. And I, I guess I'll, I'll expunge on that. I don't know. I, I, I just, it's... Even without Will Greer? Even Because I, I don't think Shuganov's really that bad. I think he's fine. Um... Utah's not a particularly explosive offense. I, I know West Virginia's defense is is, is slightly a tire fire. Um, I, I think they'll they can get enough stops. And you know what? West Virginia still has a lot of really really nice weapons on offense. And you know what? It's it's bowl season, and I, I it's it's a crapshoot. So I'll just take West Virginia. Well, I'm glad I looked at this because I still I had not picked this game yet. And um, you know, since you're seven and two last week, I'm going to pick West Virginia as well. Yeah, I. You know. This makes me just think of Texas Tech and South Florida. Texas Tech should have won that game against South Florida. 
So now we got another underdog Big 12 team coming in against. I mean, is Utah really? I mean, even without Will Greer, is Utah really seven points better than West Virginia? I don't know. So, yeah, I'll take the Mountaineers as well. Next game, also on Tuesday, Duke, Northern Illinois in the Quick Lane Bowl in Detroit. That starts at 415. Duke is a five and a half point favorite in that game. I will take the Blue Devils. I will take Northern Illinois. The Huskies, I believe. Um, I, I think they they have the best mid-major defense. Duke, kind of an offensive deficient team. Uh, take Northern Illinois. I mean, of, of course I could be wrong. I'm picking a MAC team to beat an ACC team. Um, so, I mean, I who knows if that'll happen. But, you know, bold, bold game randomness. I'll, I'll take Northern Illinois. And the final game of Tuesday is the Cactus Bowl in Phoenix. Interesting matchup. Kansas State and UCLA. Originally, UCLA was it was a UCLA or Kansas State favorite. I think pretty big because because the 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 status of Josh Rosen was uncertain. Last I looked, there was no line. They took it off the board because I I read that Josh Rosen is not going to play. I think he has concussion symptoms, things like that. Maybe he just doesn't want to get injured. Yeah. So, anyways, there's no line in this one. I'm going to take Kansas State to beat UCLA. I will also take Kansas State. UCLA has arguably the worst run defense in all of the country. That probably not not good going up against Kansas State. I will take the Wildcats. Although Kansas State uh, probably will end up being favored by the time this kicks off. Kansas State is a favorite. Worries me. Because they usually play a lot better as an underdog, obviously. They're, I think they're pretty significant underdogs to A&M last year in a bowl game. Beat Texas A&M by two or three touchdowns. Going on to Wednesday. Southern Miss and Florida State. And Florida State's getting... Uh, getting Florida State's laying 16 and a half points in the Walk-Ons Independence Bowl in Shreveport at 1230. Is Florida State, do they even want to be at this game? I, I think that line is huge. I mean, I'm definitely taking the points. Will Southern Miss beat Florida State? I mean, I think for, Southern Miss is like one of the, the upper echelon mid-major teams this season, actually. I'm going to take Southern Miss to win that game. I'm not as brave as you. I'll take Florida State, but I mean, you you bring up a good point. Does Florida State want to be there? I mean, if we're being honest, probably not. I doubt it. But they had to win though. They beat like a. They had to beat like who was it? Louisiana Monroe just to get bowl eligible. I, we'll see. You know, th- this this and this might be the beginning of like the destruction of Florida State. Like I I think I, I alluded. Uh, I I I said this to you earlier today. I think or yesterday. Willie Taggart, I think, was a terrible hire by Florida State. I I don't. I, I'm not a fan of Willie Taggart at all as a football coach. So, I, I, of, of course, it'll be two or three years before I'm, I'm proven right or wrong about that. But just just know, I, I'm, I'm putting it right here. Write it down. And writing it down. Okay. Wait, who, so who are you picking? Florida State? Uh, yeah, I'm picking Florida okay. State. Next one on Wednesday, the Pinstripe Bowl, New Era Pinstripe Bowl. If you want to advertise with us, New Era, that's fine. Iowa. Two and a half point favorite against Boston College. That's a kind of a sneaky, interesting matchup potentially. Who did I pick in this one? I'm going to go with the uh, underdog. I'm going to go with Boston College. I will also go with Boston College, just because I don't think I was really any good. And I'll, I, yeah, Boston College. I, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know a ton about Boston College. I, I just, I just know Iowa plays a very, very ugly, unwatchable brand of football. So I'm just going to pick against them on principle. If you've listened to this show for the entire year, you know that we have some pretty strong thoughts on the top 10, top 15-ish teams in the college football. These teams, not as much. So you know, the next uh, bowl pick and game should be more interesting as far as us 
giving better reasons why we're making our picks. Next game on Wednesday as well, Arizona against Purdue in the Foster Farms Bowl in Santa Clara, California. That's kind of an interesting matchup. I you know I, I know Arizona got hot really in the middle. Who's their, what's their quarterback's name? Khalil like, Tate. Khalil Tate. He got really hot and like by the time you told me that Arizona was like one of the best teams, I started kind of taking them and they started playing bad. So did teams get film on him? Did he start to you know is he not as effective or like, no? What he's happened? still he's still very effective. Uh, just the I. Their their schedule ramped up and their defense just wasn't good enough to. But I mean this 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 is a really interesting match. This game could be a lot of fun. All right, I'm gonna take Arizona. I'm also taking Arizona because of the long layoff and hope that he's all rested up in their offense. He's a runner. It wants to. He's be a there. runner. Next game Wednesday, final game Wednesday. Really interesting matchup. It would be more interesting if certain certain guys were actually playing. But the Texas Bowl between Texas and Missouri. Missouri's a two and a half point favorite in this game, and who's out for Texas? I mean, they're 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 uh, all their good Willie Jefferson, players. Deshaun Elliott, Holton Hill, like all their and the, yeah, they're like their best offensive linemen's out. Probably like, Connor Williams is not playing. Like, Shane Bouchelle is starting at quarterback. Like all their best players, so like it's not even really fun because I I think if Texas all Texas's players play, Texas wins this game. Maybe not easily because their offense isn't very good. But Texas wins. But without those guys, I'm going to take Missouri to win. I'm taking Missouri as well. I, big maybe. I think I. But yeah, Missouri is, is is pretty pretty underwhelming on defense. Uh, Texas could move the ball on the ground. Uh, we'll see. But hey, but, Tom Herman has an underdog. But yeah, M- Missouri is hot. Game. M- Missouri is hot, and you know, it, bowl randomness. Who knows? But I, I'll, I'll go just based off you know the last time we saw these teams, Texas was losing at home to Texas Tech, and Missouri was was probably running some schmo off the field. So I'll, I'll take Missouri. I guess another question though is, even with Texas. Texas's defensive players being you know, not being in the game, will this still be the best defense that Missouri's faced since they played Georgia? Probably. Probably, yeah. So, I mean, we'll see if that even matters. Thursday games, and this will be the last day of games that we cover on this podcast. I am interested in watching this game, the Military Bowl, which it's Thursday at 1230. I'll be working, so, I, I mean, I guess maybe I, I'll get to watch a little bit. Virginia against Navy, Navy a two-point favorite. And the only thing I know about Virginia was that game against Miami where they should have beaten Miami, and Miami had one of their lucky wins of the season. I thought Virginia looked really good in that game. I'm going to take them to beat Navy. I'm going to take Virginia as well. Um, don't really have a good feel for this. I, as, I, I never Navy's have a, at home, though. <laughs> yeah, I, I never have a good feel for these games, especially a triple option team. I, I just don't know how they're going to react to it. Um, I, I know Virginia does have some have some has some good veteran players on defense. I'm just, I'll take Virginia just because I, I I'm not confident enough in Navy. Worth mentioning that the line is totally switched on this game. It opened up Navy as a dog, and people started betting Navy, and now they're two point favorite. Interesting, probably because Navy's at home. I mean, they're playing at their home field, from what I understand. Uh, let's save this one for a while. Actually, these next three games are all like finally we're at like, okay, these are like some big time watchable bowl games. Uh, I'll save the Camping World Bowl for last because it's Big 12 related. Let's go with Stan. Uh, okay, no, that there's two. Two Big 12 teams are playing on Thursday. We'll go with Washington State, Michigan State, and the San Diego County Credit Union Poinsettia Bowl. Oh, wait, it's a holiday bowl now. Holiday Bowl now. The or, Holiday Bowl has always existed. Yeah, I, I messed that up. But now it's just the, it, it used to be the old Poinsettia Bowl sponsor is now the sponsor of the Holiday Bowl. Right, it feels wow. right. That feels right. I'm glad that's a thing. Uh, it's good that San Diego County Credit Union's back sponsoring bowl games. Washington State, Michigan State, last I saw it's a pick em. I will take the Spartans. I'll take the Cougars. The Cougars. All right. I don't like Washington State at all. Mi- I, every time I've backed them this year, they've 
they've betrayed me. Totally understandable. Uh, my my reasoning here is Michigan State is is very limited on offense, and Washington State actually is is, actually, is Michigan is, State can can throw it around a lot. They're nah, like, meh. And Washington State is actually good on defense. They, they it was their defense that made them a good team this year. Yeah, but they would end up getting torched by teams that shouldn't that shouldn't torture. Mi- Michigan State's not going to torch anyone. Just 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 saying, they're not torching no one. They can. Michigan State's offense is pretty good. No, it's not. They tort. I mean, they didn't torch, but they moved the ball really well against Penn State. No, they didn't. Yeah, they did. They had like over the guy had like over three hundred yards passing against Penn State in a driving rainstorm. Yeah, had a really good game. I'm calling BS on that. Don't look it up now. All right, we'll look it up later. Next game: Stanford and TCU. Thirteenth ranked Stanford versus fifteenth ranked TCU. The Horn Frogs are laying two and a half points in the Alamo Bowl. So. TCU playing in their home state. How many people will travel to San Antonio to watch TCU? I don't know if TCU travels well, so I don't know if it's going to be much of a home field game. Who did I pick in this one? I'm I'm leaning Stanford. I think Stanford's going to win. I'm going to go with the Horn Frogs. Uh, Stanford likes to run the ball. TCU is arguably the best run defense still in the country. Um, I, I think they'll be able to slow down Stanford enough, and Stanford's still pretty pretty one dimensional. I know they, they have a, they have a redshirt freshman quarterback who they've gotten better on offense since he started playing KJ Costello, but they're still a, a, a one dimensional team. And and TCU is actually they're TCU's pretty efficient on offense. They they move the ball consistently. They're just not a very explosive team. I'll t- I'll take TCU close. It'll be a close game. We'll see how much TCU actually wants to be there because they had such high hopes and their season started so fast and well, and then it kind of just sputtered out and speaking of that our final game Oklahoma State Virginia Tech Thursday in the Camping World Bowl in Orlando Oklahoma State high hopes at least they get to go to Orlando for their bowl game it's a nice place I know they're enjoying it there Uh, we're recording this on Sunday Oklahoma State went to Universal Studios on Sunday and they're going to Disney World on Christmas so that's kind of fun will they have time to prepare for Virginia Tech though hopefully they've done it prior uh, I'm going to give Oklahoma State the benefit of the doubt. I think the Cowboys win this game big. I, I think they win too. I, it depends on what you mean by big. I, I, I see them winning by 10 or 17, 10 to 17 points. Um, you know, I, I, I just, I don't know what the motivation level is going to be. So I think it's just safer to just, to just judge them based off of what we've seen during the regular season and not even take, you know, bowl motivation into, into account. And with that, I, Virginia Tech has really struggled on offense uh, in the second half of the year, and really they've they've been kind of run off the field against everyone that they've played that has a pulse. Uh, I'm take Oklahoma State. All right, that is our show. We will be back Thursday for our final show before the Rose Bowl. It'll be a show similar to the earlier season show before Oklahoma played Ohio State, where we were coming off of a UTEP game. And we're ready for that Ohio State game and really blew it out. Broke it down from every single angle. We're going to go back and look at the the script from that show and make sure that we hit everything we need to hit. That should be great. We'll give our final thoughts on OU versus Georgia. We'll give our predictions for the game. And, of course, we'll give our bowl picks for all the other fun bowl games coming up around New Year's Day. Until then, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.